when you look at Google and you do a little search about the takedown of American culture, maybe you'll type in something like the takedown of Western civilization or the takedown of the West. All you get in return are articles by leftist organizations about how right-wing extremists activist conservatives are responsible for the takedown of democracy. It's really remarkable. And what that proves is the point that we're trying to make today, that we are witnessing the careful, planned, strategic, systemic takedown of American culture. And the question that we need to ask is how does the church or how does this affect the church and how do we respond as the church to the culture that at this point in time, I think it's safe to say, a culture that is in peril. Well, welcome to the program, everybody. My name is Emilio Ramos. This is Christ and Kingdom. And today on the podcast, I want to take I want to talk about the takedown of American culture. Oh, yes, of course. But how do we respond to a culture in peril? Now, obviously, um, a lot of bad news there. <laughs> uh, not to be Debbie Downer or anything, but the culture is really bad right now. And if the recent midterm elections are any indication of the fact that our political system is either completely broken, stuck, or all the above... I'm going to encourage us in the end and remind us, my dear friends, that biblical Christianity has not changed and that the deepest needs that society has are not political, not economic, not sociological, psychological, or emotional. They are spiritual and we have the answers. Now, The reality is we are not what we can do a better job of, of course, is asking the right questions, talking about the right issues, being able to effectively draw out these root issues in our lost friends, families, neighbors, and everybody that we encounter in society that needs the good news of Jesus Christ. We need to get better at getting at the very root of it all the way that Jesus did with the woman at the well. He didn't just stay on the surface. He didn't just stay on small talk. He didn't just operate on her level to maybe translate it into the 21st century. We don't just talk about the ball game. We don't just talk about the weather. We don't just talk about politics. We just don't talk about problems in our family, in our community, in our city, in our nation, or the world. We have to go beyond these miserable social issues, and we need to get to the heart of the person Because what Jesus exemplified there in John chapter 4 is that this is a universal encounter. And for the church of all time, we should be able to look into the 
conversation that he had there with the Samaritan woman, and we should be able to draw from that conversation the very principles that we need in order to effectively touch the soul of man. And I'm completely confident that we can do that if we don't lose sight of the uniqueness of biblical Christianity. Now, all the issues that are going on in the takedown of the American culture, in one sense, guys, the takedown of America. I don't know about you, but one of the things that I study very closely these days is globalism, technology or transhumanism, pluralism, religious pluralism, and get this, paganism, because that's what happens in a pluralistic society, paganism in the area of spirituality and paganism in the area of sexuality as well. These are the emerging issues of our times, and if we are going to move along in the apologetic ebb and flow of our times, we cannot just simply go back to comparative religion the way we did back in the 80s and 90s and when we talked about you know, the kingdom of the cults and Walter Martin. And I think it's time for us to be mindful that we're living in different times. COVID illustrated just how globally interconnected our world is now and our lives are now. And whether you like it or not, I don't believe we're ever going back from that globalist awakening that we recognize that we are in a globalist system now that, can, that, that American culture can easily get its marching orders from something outside of America, whatever it is, whether it's the UN or whoever, CDC or some sort of you know, World Health Organization or what have you, whether it comes from Europe, China, or some other place. It is very clear now that American culture is being uh, assaulted by very, very un-American principles. And as Christians, what do we do about it? Furthermore, how do we get equipped to address these serious questions about culture, ethics, politics that are developing as they affect the church? And how do we equip the rising generation to respond to these important issues in a way that's faithful to Scripture, but at the same time that it's forward-looking? That is, that we have foresight, that we are able to see what is coming around the bin. And let me tell you, some of our greatest thinkers throughout you know, time, and even in recent times, just go back a century, when you think of Abraham Kuyper, when you think of Herman Bavink, okay, two centuries ago, leading into the, 20th, the early 20th century, you have men that had foresight, Van Til. These are all people that spoke to, spoke to the issues of their times. And then when you look at the Francis Schaeffers of the world, and then when you looked at the Carl F. Henrys of the world, the David Wells of the world, which David Wells, of course, is much more sensitive to what is going on inside of the church as the culture affects the church and transforms the church into something much more consumer-driven, market-driven, and seeker-sensitive. But whether it's Bonson, Van Til, or other apologists today, they responded to these issues that were pertinent and respective to their times 
whatever social ills they were facing. But in true pilgrim theology or in true pilgrim fashion, we think about pilgrim theology, for example, remember that pilgrim theology is not a disengaged, escapist spirituality. If anything, it is a fully engaged, fully aware, completely um, uh, cognizant of the problems that are going on with a world that is headed towards the very wrath of God. It's Pilgrim theology is part of biblical theology, and biblical theology reminds us that the world-ending events that have already happened at a typological level, meaning they were symbolic, the flood being the most prominent, but others, the Tower of Babel, the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, the exodus out of Egypt, these are world-ending events at a symbolic level that tell us that even though Noah's flood was not the actual end of the world, it is the way the world ends, Second Peter chapter 3. It is the way the world ends in the end. And for more of that, be sure and go to our YouTube show, as we just did a recent episode on pilgrim theology, the wisdom of pilgrim theology. This is a similar show, but it's not hard to see uh, what all these apologists were thinking, that there are influences to American culture that need to be responded to, or for some of them, European culture, that need to be responded to. But in the West, it's not difficult to see that, in fact, our culture is under absolute systemic attack, idolizing immorality, glorifying immorality at every turn, turning the culture excessively queer. Matter of fact, recently saw a video of uh, a woman who was part of the executive of Disney, and she is programming Disney shows and cartoons and everything having to do with children's programming for Disney, and she was caught on tape saying, I was just putting queerness everywhere. In other words, big corporations like Disney are systematically injecting homosexual ethics into not just the culture, but very strategically into the children's minds, thereby destroying the family, sexualizing children. And on top of that, we can see other global issues at work, tanking the economy. Uh, the, The issues are so radical. But in our culture today, contrary to other cultures, in American culture today, we have swallowed hook, line, and sinker. The, the philosophy not only of a sexual revolution, but a philosophy of total sexual uh, deterioration, objectifying women, emasculating men, softening the military, integrating us into an ever more um, sexual libertarian philosophy. And what about technology? When you think about what's going on in technology, now the name of the game is an ever more intrusive technology into the world and into the church, because we're part of this world, where society 
like it or not, is being surrounded by what I call this beautiful crystal prison, <laughs> right? Where we're all surrounded by these glowing screens, the, well, I, I call it the seven-inch oracle, <laughs> glass oracle, crystal oracle that we hold in our hands. <laughs> but the technology is becoming ever more inclusive. Have you noticed? Have you noticed the commercials? Everything now is smart, quote-unquote. And now there's smart rings, like Aura. It's a ring that you wear on your finger, and it's like a Fitbit. It tracks everything about you. It can tell you your temperature. It can tell you how you're doing with your calories. It can tell you how many steps you've taken. It can tell you what your heart rate is. It's increasingly intruding upon our very humanity. And the things that are at work in this world, dear friends, is far worse than anything. It, it's, 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 it's far worse than our wildest dreams. We understand that. And we won't drag ourselves into the gutter. But to ask the question, what is really at work here? See, these things don't change. We can never get this fundamental point wrong. We can never shift the blame for the kind of culture that we're witnessing, we can never shift it to the surface level of things. Bad politics, bad politicians, bad media, bad policies, bad legislation. It's the spirit of the age. Let me say that again loud and clear. We are looking at the spirit of the age. We are looking at exactly what the Bible says in terms of a world that is under demonic sway. And I think for evangelicals and even for Reformed the, the, um, uh, churches and Reformed brethren, uh, we, can, we, we need to be careful that we don't get so creative in our approach to culture that we get so creative, for example, that we begin to transform the issues that are really at hand and that we undergo some sort of assimilation into the same talking points that we hear coming from the news. The media, whatever it may be, cannot dictate to the church what is really truly fundamental, what is really behind the dam. See, if we start taking on worldly talking points to address the issues that are going on, LGBTQ, CRT, you know, uh, socialism, Marxism, communism, whatever, what we're going to end up doing, guys, is plugging the dam and the cracks and the dam one hole at a time while 10 other cracks develop all around us. See, behind the dam is nothing less than exactly what Scripture has taught us. It is an antichrist spirit, a course, Paul says, Ephesians chapter 2, a cultural influence, a spiritual influence. 1 Corinthians, that's exactly what we find in 1 Corinthians, is that it is the natural man. He has a spiritual problem. There's a philosophical problem. There's a religious problem. So that what we're looking at ultimately is 
that paganism is in the air because this spirit has taken captive the fallen minds of men and women in Adam. See, this is the way to think about these issues in a gospel-centered way. If we don't think about these issues along an explicitly biblical gospel-centered way, we will think about these issues along political rationalistic ways. And we can't get confused about that. If we do, the gospel will cease to be the sole remedy for man's problems. I love the way that Van Til begins the defense of the faith, saying that all that man is all wrong with God. Not just wrong with politics, not just wrong with ethics, not just wrong with his domestic life, not just wrong with his emotional, psychological makeup. Those things have temporal answers. You can affect those things through therapy, through medicine, through psychology, through science, through technology. But when man's fundamental problem is spiritual, there is only one thing that can answer to that problem, and it's the gospel. It's not enough to be a cultural influencer today. It's not enough to be an artistic creator from a Christian perspective. That is not enough. We need the good news of the curse-bearing cross. And we need to remind people of the bad news, of the sin-hating wrath of a holy God. Remarkable. There is a book by David Wells that I have referred to time and again. It's called God and the Whirlwind. And remarkably, that's exactly where David Wells ends up. After he goes on about what is wrong with the church and how the the church is becoming increasingly worldly, increasingly carnal, and increasingly infiltrated by worldly wisdom, worldly thinking, what is David Wells' response? The holy love of God displayed in the gospel. And I want to echo that sentiment here today to say that we don't just need more cultural, political influence. We need a foreign message, unique and transcendent, rooted in supernatural revelation, unique to the claims of the Christian faith. And we never, ever, ever enter into a simple, rationalistic dialogue with our neighbor Because what we're talking about is fundamentally religious, and we are told in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 to 16, that the natural man, the anthropos uh, psychikos, the natural man cannot discern these things. But we're also told that the spiritual man, anthropos pneumatikos, he is undiscernible. And so what we need is the wisdom of God that is found in the cross. And this is the seed of regeneration. And regeneration is the entry point of all of religious life in the souls of mankind. That's what Herman Bavink teaches in his Reformed Dogmatics. Uh, There's evidence, therefore, that our country is under serious attack. When we understand uh, the kind of times that we're in, we're reminded 
that the gospel is the only answer and that political rationalism will never change a person from the inside. But at the same time, when we think of all these horrible things, when we think about the darkness of this age, when we think about the present evil age, the present darkness, as Scripture teaches, when we think about exposing that darkness, we are reminded as Christians, that we have a hope that absolutely transcends this world. So we understand that as bad as it gets, and as bad as this world will get, no matter how terrible, no matter if we elect the absolute most liberal, psychopathic president, communist, a Marxist, what have you, we understand that Christianity uniquely allows us to transcend this world so that we're of good cheer, he's overcome the world. We understand that ultimately Christian identity is not rooted in anything found in this world. It's not in any city around here. It's not in any political activism. It's not in any political action. It's not in any political movement, and it's not in any politician. Our citizenship, Philippians chapter 3, is in heaven. And so Paul tells us in Colossians chapter 3 that we are to set our minds on things above. Do you do that? Are you able to do that? Let's say when an election cycle like what we just went through in the midterms doesn't go our way. And when I say our, I mean in the, in the way in which conservative values can tend to make culture more favorable at a common grace level for the privilege of the church to have some sort of social common grace advantage so that we're able to freely worship according to our conscience and we're able to effectively minister to the furtherance of God's kingdom. When that happens... We understand that the city will flourish and we will flourish with it to some degree. But we understand that in the midst of all of that, our citizenship is not in this world. And we understand that even as things get dark and bleak and terrible at times, frightening even. I mean, just in recent months, everyone, mainstream media and everybody else is talking about nuclear war with Russia. How volatile is this world? It's that volatile. It's one button away. Now, of course, thanks be to God, we have an eschatological hope, my friends, that clearly teaches that man will, in fact, not self-destruct. God will not allow for man to annihilate itself, thankfully, And when you have that eschatological hope, you need not fear. That doesn't mean nuclear war can't happen. That doesn't mean that terrible war can't take place. But it does mean that no matter what kind of war takes place, we know for certain that God will not allow the world to be annihilated out of existence, as it were, totally destroyed, until the judgment of God comes to pass precisely in the fashion in which he has promised. And speaking of God's promises, that's what we're saying. God has given us all these vital and precious promises even as we sojourn on this voyage 
home. Now, understand that as America is being influenced by tyrannical measures, globalist measures, transhumanist measures, um, you know, um, you know, immoral, pagan, sexual type of idolatrous ethics, philosophy, morality, what have you, it should be a comfort to us to know that the church has always experienced pagan times. Pagan times is nothing new for the church. From the very beginning, the church grew in the midst of a pagan empire. In 1 Thessalonians, we're reminded that in Thessalonica, the Gentiles had turned from their idols, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, and they had turned from idolatry to serve the living and true God. The early church was surrounded by paganism. And therefore, when we see, for example, in our own culture today, when we see the rise of of Eastern spirituality, when we see the rise of pagan spirituality everywhere, even, I mean, think about it, in our, in our, uh, in our public school systems, they were, and, and still are in certain liberal areas, making a push for indigenous spirituality where students in, in liberal public schools are being taught how to chant pagan prayers, pagan mantras where they literally are chanting the words of Mayan and Incan pagans in their worship of pagan deities, many of which engaged in cannibalism, barbarism, child sacrifice, and that kids in America today, (laughs) gone are the days of Billy Graham. My friends, we're not, I have a clip of Billy Graham. I was doing some video editing. I used a clip for Billy Graham where Billy Graham is in a crusade talking to thousands and thousands of people as Billy Graham crusades used to be back um, in, this was black and white, so this was back in the 50s probably, but Billy Graham is sitting there holding a Bible in his hands and lift up your Bible. And he looks out into an ocean of Bibles and he says, thousands of Bibles. You know, there was a time, Billy Graham, the Billy Graham era, when evangelicalism basically started in modern times, where the average person on the street had a very basic, fundamental Judeo-Christian framework for understanding reality. He believed in the biblical God. He was fully aware of the biblical creation story. Most people believed that they were created in the image of God. Most people believed in the concept of heaven and hell. But today, I tell you what, you go up to the average person, you go to the average student in a college camp, in a university campus across America, I can tell you right now, the default position of the vast majority of students is no longer anything even remotely close to biblical Christianity. How about that? That's a, that's, that is the byproduct of a, of a country that has gone now through several generations of utter idolatrous influence, pagan influence, Eastern ways of thinking, and we're reaping the whirlwind of a sexual revolution that turned into a homosexual revolution that has turned into complete and total sexual anarchy, and we're descending down the path of Romans 1. 
Idolatry may look like many things. And part of that is that you actually worship yourself. You don't need a rock. You don't need a stump. You don't need a little, you know, golden idol in your closet. Idolatry is anything other than the worship of the true and living God. And that's why the Apostle Paul puts it that way in 1 Thessalonians 1.9. Because anything else is a move away from the true and living God and a movement towards a false dead God, a mutable, deaf, dumb idol, even if that is faith in yourself. To prefer anything above the living God and his word means that your allegiance is divided and misplaced. You can't serve both God and man. You can't serve both. You can't serve two masters. You'll love the one and hate the other. Pagan times are nothing new for the church. And thankfully, we have a robust response to paganism, and it is the doctrine of the transcendent creator. And from that transcendent creator, we have the doctrine both of the creator-creature relationship and the creator-creature distinction. And this is, listen, guys, this is becoming the doctrine of our times. Not just because within reform circles and evangelical circles, we have an explosion of doctrine of God controversies. We have an explosion of, of Trinitarian controversies. We have an explosion of, 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 of mutualism and correlativism, as Van Til used to put it. We have an explosion of hyper-relational theology where we're trying to bring God down. How about that? Whether it's in Christian theology or in the culture, the doctrine of the Creator is under constant attack. And the only response is the doctrine of the absolute, immutable, transcendent creator, where people must understand themselves in light of the creator, God. We're witnessing a world that is at odds with its maker, It's not making bad political choices. We're seeing a world that's hostile to God. We're not just seeing class warfare. We're witnessing a world that suppresses the truth of the living God. We're not just watching cancel culture. We're witnessing a world where the image of God is discarded. It's not just sexual libertarianism or feminism run amok. This is the difference between the symptom and the root. We go into a conversation about trans activism and we talk about the dire effects of trans and reassignment surgeries that later kids will regret and things like that when really none of those are the root issues. The root issue is not that you're going to regret a surgery or eventually you're going to come back to an identity crisis. The root issue is that you have lost your identity in the image of God or as the image of God. You have failed to see that by consequence of being created in God's image, your life has been accounted for. Your, your, your entire existence is owing to your creator and your maker. 
If we go chasing around every cultural crisis that emerges on the scene, I promise you, my dear friends, whether it's CRT or LGB or identity politics or globalism or neo-Marxism or what have you, we won't ever get to the root of the issue. We won't ever get to the transcendent issues that really matter. And as we get close here to some answers and toward a positive message in terms of our response, we're looking at meaning and morals and beauty. And too many, too many times, I think, today in the Christian church, we're running around with a, in a whack-a-mole fashion trying to put out every little brush fire that, that you know, comes on the scene. Um, how quickly we ran out to write things on Black Lives Matter, wokeism, CRT, without coming back to the more fundamental distinction between biblical Christianity and the world. And I know that a lot of books were written that did those kinds of things, and praise God for that. But the Apostle Paul did not just look to change the culture of mankind. He looked to save the souls of the elect, of a new humanity in Christ. And this is one of the reasons why Paul did not seek to save the culture per se, he was in pursuit of souls, not society. He planted churches in every city, and something remarkable happened after Paul did that. Take, for example, the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 14. He planted biblical churches, and what did he do immediately after that? He left. He understood that as he founded a biblical church in that city, the Great Commission was done. The Great Commission was faithfully fulfilled. His hands were clean. His conscience was clear. He had done what God required of him. He didn't have to wait around into every vestiture of Roman paganism was transformed into some sort of Christian institution. He understood a biblical church had been established and the gospel and the Great Commission had been fulfilled. On a biblical church, uh, you know, once a biblical church is established in a city, there's really nothing left undone in terms of the Great Commission. And we can therefore be confident that as we engage in the evangelistic task of the church, and establish orthodox, historically orthodox, biblical churches in every city, we have done what God requires. How easily we can get distracted from this all-consuming purpose. In the name of cultural infiltration, we fail to see that the gospel is actually counter-cultural. And what we need is not, therefore, just Christian art, Christian science, we need courage to declare that biblical Christianity is not just a superior form of established cultural norms. Christianity transcends cultural norms altogether. Christianity transcends the world altogether. Cultural Reconstructionism, therefore, is a telic 
phenomenon. In other words, it asks the question of where things should go. It assumes a particular eschatology and it casts a particular vision for the future. But as we approach our culture today, our focus is not just cultural reconstruction, brothers and sisters, friends. It is explicitly ecclesiastical. It is evangelistic, ecclesiastical. It is spiritual. It's religious. It's fundamentally an issue of worship, whether we're going to worship the true and living God or not. But what should be our focus? Well, maybe we can take our cue from a biblical text. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 14, here we have a passage that really will help us to understand when we think of all the different attacks that we can use uh, to speak to all of these issues, we should subordinate everything beneath the concept of the image of God, even as Paul does here, Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 to 14, because to the image belongs the doctrine of the Creator, to the image of God, the Imago Dei, belongs the doctrine of man, anthropology, so theology, anthropology, the doctrine of eschatology, the doctrine of salvation, soteriology, and the philosophical categories of meaning and morals and beauty, so that we're dealing with metaphysics. This is the reason why America is decaying. There really is only one cultural war in the end. It is God and the antithesis. The Apostle Paul put it this way. This is, let me just read this for us. Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 to 14. It says, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, namely their faith, we have not ceased to pray for you, to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to be pleasing to him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Keep reading. Verse 13. He rescued us from the domain of darkness and he transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. See, if you look at this passage, then what you recognize here is several things. Number one, what the world will simply never, ever embrace to show you the depth of the antithesis that's involved. The world will never accept this, being filled with all the knowledge of his will, 
in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, because wisdom, spiritual wisdom and understanding, the knowledge of his will, these are all rooted in divine revelation. This is the fundamental starting point that forges the antithesis. The world can never achieve what Paul envisions here. To be pleasing to him in all respects. And the world can never become what can only happen through the activity of the Holy Spirit in conversion, regeneration, so that we have an inheritance among the saints in light. In other words, in the sphere of of salvation. And you know that, for example, because the antithesis to that is then quickly qualified uh, from verse 12 uh, right to verse 13. You have the immediate antithesis and qualification as we go from the inheritance of light, then immediately what the world then represents is the domain of darkness. And he says, He rescued us from the domain of darkness. And he transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. That is how deep the antithesis is and why it will always be that we need a message that will expose this antithesis and not try to rationally compromise the antithesis. Big difference. How do we do that? Well, let me just give you a very simple uh, path forward, and this would be capitalizing on the image of God and how God has created us. Capitalizing on God's image, the doctrine of the Imago Dei, and how God has made us. You know, for too often, the image of God is a doctrine that we use, let's say, to fight abortion, and say, well, we're creating the image of God, therefore we shouldn't commit abortion. True. But much more than that, the doctrine of the image of God doesn't just mean we shouldn't abort babies, murder the unborn, but it means that we're created for eternity. See, the image of God is an eschatologically limiting concept. In other words, the image of God itself regulates what we know about eschatology, namely, and here I'm thinking, guys, if you need a passage of Scripture, I'm thinking of 1 Corinthians chapter 14, excuse me, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 42 all the way to verse 49, namely that we have borne the image of the earthly man, that's Adam, so we've borne the image of the earthly man, Adam, and, he's, Paul says, we will, future tense, eschatological tense, we will bear the image of the heavenly man, which is Christ. And, of course, logically um, flowing out of that idea, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 49, comes Paul's exposition of the resurrection, that it's through the resurrection that this image transformation will happen. We can say it this way, that through the, res through the resurrection, the image of God will come unto its designed, perfected state. It doesn't become something new. It doesn't become something else. You're still in the image of God. 
The image of God does not, uh, does not constitute a new humanity, meaning in the sense of a new humanness, where we become something other than human. No, uh, it doesn't, we don't become a different species of something. We don't become a different kind of being. But we become humanity as God intended in its glorified, sinless, perfected state in the presence of the glory of God and in the face of Jesus Christ, his son. And therefore, the image of God tells man, you are created for a reason that transcends the earthly plane that transcends the temporal plane. And from the image of God, we get meaning and morals and beauty. From the image of God, we, we can learn what is, what is appropriate versus what is obscene. From the image of God, we understand what is meaningful versus what is meaningless. From the image of God, we know what is moral versus what is immoral. And from the image of God, we understand what is eternal and transcendent, that we have been created for a transcendent reason and purpose, that the image of God allows us to have a fundamental place in God's world, in God's creation beyond this life. And the image of God reminds us that we are moving from wilderness to paradise, from famine to fullness. God is the answer to the human soul so that we are ultimately, according to the image of God, what we're being told is that man is created for God. The issues that are plaguing our world right now can only be met, we can only respond to those issues if and when a proper biblical cosmology of the image of God is heralded by the church, where we say a lot more than just, you were created in God's image, therefore you should be pro-life. Oh no, it's much more than that. We're created in God's image, therefore you should adopt a biblical cosmology from A to Z, creation to consummation. And therefore, even as we think of how dark things are and how dark things are getting, perhaps in the near future of American culture, we are getting ready to witness what a lot of people are theorizing, which is that we're getting ready to undergo a technological revolution in transhumanism. We're getting ready to undergo a pagan revolution in complete and total uh, religious pluralism. We are getting ready to see a complete and total sexual uh, uh, devolution. We're getting ready to see a complete and total sexual degradation of American society in androgyny. In other words, eliminating the binary altogether and bringing everything together into oneness, uh, what Peter Jones, of course, calls oneism. And so all these issues are very, very important for Christian worldview, apologetics, and for 
the doctrine of the creator in Christian theology. And so much more to come on subjects such as this. Hope that that was encouraging to you. Please be sure to check out our YouTube channel. Uh, We recently did a video on a similar subject, talking about the wisdom of pilgrim theology. Make sure and check that out. Until next time, uh, tune in again for another episode of Christ and Kingdom. God bless you.